And good afternoon from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael with this week's episode, this week's edition, this week's class of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I sure enjoy doing these. It's amazing to me. I was looking through the list because we have this send one to a friend gadget on the, this as well. And I was sending some of these out to friends and uh, Gosh, we've done so many programs already. It's hard to believe uh, we're about nine months into this. And uh, so I guess as we approach a year, I could start to repeat a couple of topics maybe. I don't know, maybe not. Certainly lots to talk about. One of the things I like to do, probably because of my journalism background, is look at current events and see what's going on in the news that might be a good topic or entry point for a discussion that is essentially about personal and spiritual development. That's what the mystery schools are all about. And, of course, I couldn't help but notice the uh, story that was breaking out of Illinois about uh, the governor there uh, looking to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. And I guess one of the things that surprised me about it was how surprised everybody was. I was surprised that people were surprised. <laughs> and it's like after eight years of the most corrupt political administration ever in federal government, after uh, watching decades of American business become increasingly corrupt, led by Wall Street, the bankers, financiers, hedge fund people and other pirates and bandits, how could we be suddenly surprised that uh, this uh, governor of Illinois would, uh, the most, by all appearances, the most corrupt state in America, uh, certainly one of the, certainly in the top five, uh, how could we be surprised? I, I And, and th then I... I thought, well, maybe people are surprised at just how stupid these people are. Maybe it's not the greed and the corruption and the arrogance, but the stupidity that surprises people. But again, I think, well, isn't that what the last eight years have been about? Uh, a conflagration of corruption and stupidity, which makes for a very special kind of stupidity, corrupt stupidity. Tempted to comment also, I don't know if you guys have seen the footage, but a reporter threw a pair of shoes at George Bush in Baghdad this morning. The ultimate insult is to show somebody in the Middle East, the ultimate insult is to show somebody the bottom of your feet, show them the sole of your shoe. Uh, and Dana Perino in the struggle got hit in the eye with a microphone. If you don't see the synchronicity in that, uh, Time to study more synchronicity, I guess. So, we're corrupt. Our government is corrupt. Corporations are corrupt. Unions are corrupt. Uh, Wall Street is corrupt. The governor's office is corrupt. And so, our topic today is why bother with ethics? Why do we care? What is the point of morality? Why should you not steal or take what doesn't belong to you? And what is the process of deciding relative morality? Because, you 
know, life has a way of making situations that are not very clear-cut. And where you don't know exactly what's the right thing to do. i give you an example right here at the top. I was in uh, a store. This was maybe, actually, I think this was maybe a year ago, because we were a little over a year ago, because as I recall now, we were still in L.A. And uh, we were, I'll even tell you where it was. It was Costco. And you know what, you can visualize what Costco's like. And so we're going through the uh, checkout line, and uh, the person ahead of me has already finished their transaction and disappeared. And as I sort of move into their place in front of the cash register, there's a like a little wallet or a little purse there that one of those, uh, it's like a change purse, you know, the kind that you squeeze and it opens up, except it was leather, not plastic, but they've been around for years, a little coin purse. You just squeeze it and it opens up and reveals it. Well, I squeezed it. I picked it up and squeezed it, and inside were several hundred dollar bills, and Lord knows how much money, because right? I didn't get into it. And I stood there holding on to it as the checkout girl reached across and grabbed it out of my hand. And she said, I'll take that. Well, I was a little resistant at first. I balked. I wasn't sure what to do. Like, what do you mean? What are you going to do with it? I didn't know if she was acting as an individual, right, or acting on behalf of the store and then, I soon realized she was doing the right thing. She was acting, at least she said so. She <laughs> she reassured me. And then I was thinking, well, if she hadn't seen me and I'd walked out with that, what would I have done with it? Would I have taken it to the supervisor or the manager of the store and said somebody, you know, left us here? Or would I put it in my pocket? Because you know how life works. Those kinds of things don't happen to you unless you need the money. Or think you do, because everybody's life has an ebb and a flow, and I could have used a few extra hundred dollars. So we react on different levels. There is the initial temptation. There is the visceral reaction. I'll take that. Wait a minute. This is mine. I found it, you know. And then the cerebral cortex, the higher brain function, kicks in. And this is where our ethics and our morality is stored. This is when when you get out of the... You know, the fight or flight, the instantaneous uh, knee-jerk reflex of the limbic brain and move to the outer cortex of the brain. And we could talk about this in terms of models of mind as well. There is a second level of thinking that comes into play. The consciousness, its attendant conscience, or conscience is a subset of consciousness, Right, and this is our identity ultimately is the level or the frequency of consciousness that we can carry in safe and relaxed times and then ideally into increasingly pressured times but when taken by surprise that hey that's mine I found that what are you doing you can't have well hold on take a breath relax okay and then as I continue my conversation, now I'm remembering more, as I continue my conversation, she's explaining we can track who this belongs to by the receipts. 
and their Costco card, and we'll figure it out. We'll get it back to them. And so I felt very good about it at the end. But i got to admit, initially there was a reflex that said I found it, and they resisted having it taken away from me physically, literally taken out of my hand by this woman. So ethics, for, I guess the first point I'm making is morality and ethics and conscience and consciousness is a higher brain function, all right? And it needs cultivation. It needs periods, it seems to me, of reflection and introspection where we make decisions in advance about what's the right thing to do and how to behave. I can give you another example that occurs to me. And you might say, well, this is very different. Yeah, it is, but I think... It does speak to morality and ethics. Uh, This goes back quite a few years, actually. Let's see, close to 20 years. And I was in uh, Granada Hills. I lived in Granada Hills at the time. So it must have been a little over 20 years ago. And I'm at a red light, and uh, a person piles into the back of me at about 60 miles an hour, just rear-ends me collapses the whole back of my car, my beautiful new car I just bought, put the trunk of the car right into the back seat and uh, pushed me out into the middle of the intersection. Probably the worst accident I've ever been in, and I was just sitting at a red light. And I got out of the car, and on my way back to the driver of the car that had just slammed into me. As I'm walking back, it couldn't have been more than a few seconds, an argument took place in my mind. The limbic system, the animal brain in me, was frightened, surprised, and angry, right? Defensive, and ready to jump in this person's face. What did you do? Are you crazy? Look what you did to my car. That was my immediate reaction and the way I felt as I opened the door and put my foot on the ground. But by the time I got back to the car, again, how long could that be? Five seconds, six seconds. An argument had already taken place in my brain where another part of me said, these are these are things. This is metal. These are cars. They're they're replaceable and they're insured. And the most important thing is you get back to see who plowed into the back of you while you're innocently sitting at the red light. The most important thing is are they okay? Right? You're okay. You're up and walking. Are they okay? And that's the way I expressed myself to this person. And I won't prolong the story because they're actually evolved into a whole relationship. But I heard later, I I learned very quickly, that uh, this person was actually amazed that that was my attitude. But I'm not going to portray this as if I am this highly evolved being that floats out of the car and gently goes back to consider the welfare of the person that just victimized me, I went through an evolution. It wasn't really a back and forth so much as initially, you know, just like in the Costco example I gave you, I acted reflexively. And so 
even though we have this ability for the higher aspect of self, the higher brain function, the more human part of us, the conscience to step in and intervene and sub that's sublimate. What do I want to say? Subdue or manage? Or, uh, I like manage. Make safe this limbic brain, this animal reflex, fight or flight stuff. I went through that process. I went through that evolution in the five seconds going back to the car. And I'm saying no matter how highly evolved we think we are, in terms of our ethics and our morality, it seems that life will tempt us. Life will help us test ourselves. How about if I say it that way? And this animal self, this reflex, needs to be trained. It's just like tra you know, training a puppy to sit and stay. How are you going to train it? Hopefully with love and affection and reward and repetition, and gently and sweetly and kindly. You know, I think the day of trying to train or domesticate an animal with threats and violence is over. You know, horse breaking and and going after puppy dogs with rolled up newspapers and stuff. I think that those days are all over. Although we still raise our kids that way, too many people. We have these two natures. We have these two polarities within our being, a self that is egoic and the higher self. We talked about these polarities, these two aspects of self, uh, last week. And it's not an uncommon topic. Last week we, we talked about the two faces of pride. Well, which one of you is the one that's proud, the separative one or the unitive one, the one that thinks they're superior or inferior, that one, or the one that knows they're just different from and incomparable to, and therefore incomparable cannot be compared, right? These are important uh, constructs, an important model to understand the dynamics, and you know, uh, most of the time we're somewhere in the middle. It just varies. You know, where in the middle are you? Are you on the 20-yard line here, like mostly 80% ego and 20% higher self? Or are you 80% higher self and or 90% higher self and 10% uh, egoic in nature? This is why in the Western mystery traditions, as an aside, that Ego death is not discussed. That's basically in the Eastern traditions, and it doesn't really survive uh, translation very well. The idea of ego death, of killing the ego or dying to the ego. In Western mystery traditions, Western mystery schools, the ego becomes, is appropriated, I'll say it that way, appropriated by the higher self or the oversoul by uh, our best nature, uh, the more harmonious and unitive, loving soul self, and then creates, if the ego allows it and aspires to it, a soul-infused ego or a soul-infused persona. So we're still egoic. We're still separate and still tend to resist and fight and defend, but we're getting more harmonious and and more unitive as a result of this uh, sometimes called alchemical wedding or chemical wedding 
right? It's an uplifting. It's a it's alchemical because it's lead to gold. It's water to wine. It's flattened bread to rising bread. You know the the yeast of the bread or the fermentation of the wine or the transmutation of the lead to the gold. All of these are allegories for the kind of refinement that we're talking about. And that's the role that ethics and morality plays in our life. To help us understand where we are on this spectrum or this keyboard that runs between the separative self, the ego, egoic or persona nature, personality, that gets frightened, that counsels fear, that has as its primary job to defend, even what often does not need to be defended, with an either-or, fight-or-flight response, and this much higher nature that knows no fear at all, but exists in its highest form as an embodiment of love. In the highest form, it's the Christ consciousness or the Buddha nature that is within everybody. You don't have to look outside to find yourself. It's already there. And, and to have, uh, as you have determined today, I mean, think of it. You, just, you knew the topic. You decided to come here today. Some of you may be here because you come regularly and you weren't sure what the topic was. Uh, you just go to the website and click on the link, whatever. But you're here because you care about this kind of stuff, because you know the aspiration, the bleeding heart, the longing that we discuss here that that is core to the mystery school. The mystery is in that longing of the part to be whole. Think of that phrase, the longing of the part to be whole. That's what incarnation is. It's a, it's a, it's a ripping from the bosom of the one life of an individuated bit. Why would the one create the many? Right? Why does the creator need a creation if it's all-knowing and all-powerful? And you know those silly riddles you play with kids. Uh, could God make a rock big enough that it couldn't lift? And those rather amateurish constructs. Well, there's some real good heavyweight philosophy that asks much better questions about the nature of existence. And why else would the one create the many? Would the creator create a creation, spirit manifesting as matter, and populate it with creatures, creator, creation, creatures, right? There's only one thing I can think of is that the one needs to know what it's like to be separated. And that's who you are. You are a unique individual incarnated into separated body in a separated world of form, a material world, to have the experience from a unique point of view of what it's like to be separated from your source. That's why you hurt. And the longing, that's why we all hurt. That's why life hurts. This is suffering. Life. The first noble truth in Buddhism, life is suffering. Of course, the second noble truth is we set ourselves up for it, but <laughs> having said that, nobody escapes the karma. And it's not punishment. It's it's a rendering. It's a 
as they say, a transmutation. It's uh, the alchemists would talk about adversity and conflict and pain and suffering as burning off the dross or the impurities as an alchemist would take ore and put it under high heat so that everything that is not gold burns away the dross and what you're left with is pure gold. So that's a metaphor for you and me. We come into this life, a religious person would say a fall, right? We're separated from our source and we become greedy. And so I grab that money at Costco like it's mine. Initially, there's an animal part of me that grabbed it, that gets out of the car in the accident and goes storming back to get in a fight with the person who just smashed my car. But thank goodness that, like everybody on this call, I'm sure, and most people in the world, the vast majority of the people of people in this world, are working to honor that longing to be better that longing of the part to behold divine homesickness, the longing of the hurt to be healed of the one who suffers to release the suffering. That's what Eastern and, to a large extent, Middle Eastern and religion and philosophy is really about. And then you factor in the salvation in the West see it in that same context and go, oh, I see, that's what they mean by salvation. It's not just like getting to heaven. Religion makes everything so elementary school. Not that they're wrong, it's just maybe incomplete. Right? Not wrong. Just maybe, maybe incomplete. And maybe as we add more information and get a more elevated perspective, we see the bigger picture of what we've thought of as redemption or salvation or atonement as just a general unfolding of who we are. And ethics and morality is part of love and consciousness. Consciousness, spiritual love and consciousness are two words for the same thing. Ethics and morality is part of that whole process. It's a, it's a way, it's a path that we walk to honor that longing in our hearts. And at some point you will realize, if you haven't already, think about it now, that you really don't have much of a choice in this anymore. As you understand your motives, you find in those motives identity. And you realize, I am the person who's being motivated, not by fear or greed or corruption, not even self-defensiveness, although there's always that. But I have another motivation, a higher motivation. Uh, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I've got this longing, this desire to be more, just like the theosophist Roberto Saggioli would talk about this holy longing, this divine homesickness as being similar to the attraction that a flower or any plant has for the sun, the way a, a 
plant turns toward the sun and even follows it across the sky. Uh, that longing to know the source of life is in each of us as love, and a part of that love, consciousness, love, love, consciousness, love, truth, is morality and ethics. Let me also call uh, to our attention the quotable quote that I put in the newsletter this week by Albert Schweitzer. I don't have it in front of me, but I could easily paraphrase it. He's just saying that, you know, it's really pretty simple. If it's life-affirming, it's good. It's uh, moral. It's it's ethical. It's love-based. If you're here to promote life in all of its various forms, the experience of being alive in a loving and harmonious way. Right? And yet, if you do not do that, if you hurt people or take stuff that's not yours or lie about people or slander or bear false witness um, or one could argue even if you're failing to consciously play the role of a life affirming individual that that would be evil now the way I, I was taught the same ethic and it's a pretty strict definition that evil begins with not caring about other people. And you say, wow, that's pretty stiff. You mean, oh my, I've got this uh, smoke alarm. Don't do that to me. <laughs> it's on a 10-foot ceiling. I would need a ladder to get up there. I think it's cool, Reed in the middle of my uh, class. We have three smoke alarms in this place, and two of them do that. One, we we ripped its battery out. I may, I may have to rip the battery out of this one, too. Anyway, let, let me get back to my topic here. I'm talking about... Uh, I'm sorry I lost my train. Where I, I know we're talking about this holy longing or this divine homesickness and morality and, and ethics is the uh, is the path uh, there was something else I had it'll come to mind let me uh, check the uh, uh, question and comment section of the website here and remind those of you who are listening live on the web that you have in front of you on the page in front of you a submission box down at the bottom where you can put your name and the city where you are today and just above that, put a question or a comment, and then hit the submit button, and uh, I'll get to that. In fact, a couple of people have already done that, mostly just folks saying hi, so let me acknowledge them. And I want to talk a little more about uh, how you can help us promote this program, this free uh, mystery school that we do every week with the Send One to a Friend gadget. So... Uh, in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, John, who we talked to earlier this morning, hello, John. He's saying hi to Doreen, too. And, of course, Carol always remembers Doreen. She's in La Habra and with us every week. Uh, likewise, Lorelei in uh, Tucson. She says hello-a. Uh, hello <laughs> Aloha. Have you ever looked at hello, aloha, and hola, right? They're all real close. Uh, 
happy holidays, peace and love. Thank you, Lorelai. Nice to hear from you. And then Irvine Robert is with us, too. Hello. He says, how do we recognize when our choices are being made out of fear versus, wait a sec here, let me move this a bit, uh, fear versus spirit. Are fear choices ever valid? Yeah, of course, fear choices can be valid. Uh, Robert, that's a very good question. Let me pause for a sip of tea and I'll speak to that. See, on a radio talk show, I can let you guys talk. I can drink my tea. Now I have to stop. We'll figure this Internet thing out. One of these days we'll be able to do real live radio on the Internet. Blog radio is not really what I want to do now. Internet radio is it now stands. But anyway, uh, let's take it backwards. The second question, are choices that come out of fear uh, ever valid? Yeah, essentially, Robert, when the fear is an indicator of real, clear, and present danger. And you may not know that right away. Like, you come around the corner and somebody goes, boo, and you jump, and you say, oh, you frightened me, you scared me. Well, that was surprise. It wasn't real fear, but pretty soon you would realize one way or the other if you came around the corner as a rabid dog with, uh, you know, teeth bared, ready to lunge for your throat, uh, you'd have the same surprise, but the fear would follow, and uh, a desire to run like hell uh, would be valid, right? Fight or flight. Actually, the whole thing built into us automatically is fight or flight, run, uh, freeze, or faint. This is where the uh, animal world gets playing possum. A lot of animals will do that. Even lizards do that. A lot of different critters just play dead, right? Uh, so it's fight or flight, freeze or faint. And if our surprise, if our, you know, our fear is found to be based in a real, clear, or present danger, then, of course, those initial reactions, though they're not very conscious, are valid. And remember, we are the ancestors of people who survived because they were really good at that. So we're really good. We are, <laughs> we have evolved as people who are really good at being instantly terrified, right? We come from a long line of people who are good at fighting and then running like crazy. Uh, so that would be an example, a simple example of when choices uh, are, uh, they come out of fear of valid. I mean, some negative thinking even is valuable. That's why we do it. <clears throat> Positive thinkers are not people that, think only positive thoughts and never have a negative thought. A positive thinker has negative thoughts. What makes him or her a positive thinker is what they do with the thought. And so to learn from a negative thought, well, it might be valid. As in the example you ask, is fear ever valid? Yeah, a negative thought could be valid too. Often they're not, but every once in a while, boy, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that frightened part of me spoke up in a negative voice and cautioned me in this area. I really learned from that. Now I can breathe uh, and exhale and let go of that. And that's a positive thing I did with the negative thought. So a positive thinker does positive things with positive thoughts and positive things with negative thoughts. Don't ever be confused. 
by the the pessimist or the so-called realist, as they may describe themselves, who say, no, positive thinking is all airy-fairy, blue-sky nonsense. That's just wishful thinking. Well, that's a mislabeling of, of positive thinking. So keep that in mind. And then your first question, Robert, how do we recognize when our choices are made out of fear or spirit? Uh, if the choices are this or that, God, this is such a good question, thank you. If the choices are either or, fight or flight, right, or uh, you're with me or against me, well, you either won or lost. Hey, man, you're either right or you're wrong. There's, there's only two ways anything can be. Those are fear-based. Right? There is no middle way. There's just the ultimate extremes, right? And notice how there is a deliberate attempt and a very successful attempt by our government and others to control the masses, the multitudes, by reducing all permutations and combinations and variations into a toggle switch. You no dimmer. You're, <laughs> it's either on or it's off. There's no middle way, right? You'll see this a lot in right-wing talk shows, but the talking points that come out of uh, politicians' offices, Democrats have learned this from the Republicans, too. This is a kind of Orwellian mind control where all variations and permutations are cast off as liberal hooey, and you're either with me or against me. It's either this or that. Reducing all of life into a true-false exam. That's using fear to create more fear. That's using terror, not to fight terror, but using terror to promote terror. That's why I say the only way to break this cycle is to understand that terrorism is inside you, not outside of you. I realized that shortly after 9-11, it changed my world. So my God, there's 11 guys. Wasn't it 11 guys or 19 guys, was it? Took down these two skyscrapers with box cutters. It's looking like they had some help on the inside, if you explore it a little further. But nevertheless... Where are the great armies? Where is the Al Qaeda? Where are the Al Qaeda battleships? Where is the Al Qaeda navy? What does an Al Qaeda tank look like, or an Al Qaeda jeep, or an Al Qaeda uniform, or do they have special Al Qaeda berets they wear? No, they're not even a military unit. They're not even limited to a nation. It's a gang of thugs. You should, you should call the cops. And that's what we were doing. We would call the cops and arrest people and put them in jail and try them in courts of law. Bush and Cheney decided this was not a law enforcement problem. We're going to start terrorizing the world as a way to fight terror. And obviously it doesn't work. There are situations where you can literally fight fire with fire. <laughs> but philosophically, you can't defeat hate with hate, nor fear with fear, nor terror with terror. And the only way for you and me and people we love and can communicate with to break out of the fear is to know that it exists inside of us. It's our response. 
rest of the world. And that world is filtered through our consciousness, through our experience. And ask 10 people, and you get 10 different beliefs. Ask a million people, you'll get 10, you'll get a million points of view, and so on and so forth. You understand what I'm saying here? The real fear that we need to manage, to uplift, from only two choices to a multitude of choices, a third way, a fourth possibility, and that would be coming out of spirit, Robert. Three or more ways would be the higher self. Stepping into the higher self and managing the ego, the fear-based person, starts when you say, I have choices. There is a third or a middle way. And then a variation. Well, there must be a fourth way then that's somewhere between one and three or one, or, or two and three, right? <laughs> there must be a, another middle between these two and then another middle and another middle. And, well, there's hundreds, there's thousands, there's infinite rainbows between the black and white of a fear-based world. A fear-based world is black and white. Like Dorothy stepping into Oz, it turns into color when you see the third way. And it's not just the 50-yard line, it's all of that. All right. So that's the best way to know if you're coming out of fear, that reflexive part, that really doesn't know morality or ethics. Let's bring it back to our topic du jour here. When you're in fight or flight, well, screw morality and ethics. It's, i got to defeat this adversity, I've got to conquer this adversary, and uh, then maybe once I get him down, I'm going to run like hell. Right? Sort of the pacifist philosophy. You get to survive, you get to fight back, but then you can run. You don't counterattack. Once you get him down, you don't stomp him on the head. The pacifist just fights to be free and then runs like hell. That's sort of built in. Right? But it's either or. There's no middle way. You know you're tending toward and moving toward the higher self, toward a, a moral self and a more ethical self when you look for the third way. And that will lead to the fourth option, the fifth possibility, the sixth choice, the seventh variation, and so on and so forth. Okay, very good. Let's see who else we have on here today. Uh, in Irvine, ham radio friend Robert, 73's Robert, says, I think all temptations are tied to the acquisition of power. A yearning for those who are born into a believed state of separation. I feel that when we forget who we really are, we instead identify with the separated ego, left in the world to fend for itself, and whose behavior manifests as greed, corruption, and pride. Reference to last week's show. But isn't the lust for power really a need to control what we fear? Yeah, power over. You say power to most people in this world today, and the only power they know is the power of a separated world, of one force acting upon another force. We call our military the armed forces. They will force you with the use of weapons in their arms. <laughs> Words are so funny. The armed forces are going to come and get you, right? 
Oh, of course, and they're going. They're using their weapons to defend themselves. But so our Department of War is renamed the Department of Defense. But we know what they're up to. Even though many of these kids, obviously in the military, are well-intentioned. So the good news is there's another kind of a power, at least one other kind, in the most general sense. The other polarity of force and violence would be love and harmony and uh, cooperation and ethics and morality and as we discussed last week a humble sense of pride I'm, I'm proud, I'm gratified I'm grateful and uh, I'm doing it because it makes me all warm and fuzzy inside, it makes me feel good I get a feel good here that actually goes beyond feeling good to promoting my health. And that allows me to live longer and a more productive and creative life and have a greater impact in the most positive way on the other people around me. And wah, 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 it just unfolds as we see in nature. You know, if you see only conflict in nature, the hawk screaming down out of the sky, grabbing the rabbit in its talons and flying off. If you see only conflict in nature, you're too close to it. Take a step back. Again, that's another way through love and consciousness of moving from the separated self to the higher self. Mindfulness, detachment, take a step back and get from that elevated perspective a more complete view where yeah, there is what appears to be conflict. Foxes and rabbits and eagles and mice. And, right? But there's a remarkable harmony once you see the bigger picture. The way the symbiosis of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom sharing oxygen and carbon dioxide, I mean, that's pretty incredible, right? But more evidence that the animal kingdom evolved out of the plant kingdom is the plants inhale carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen and animals do just the opposite. That's a nice relationship. And uh, so there are two kinds of power, at the very least. Anytime I say something like that, I'm thinking there's got to be a third way, which I guess is learning to find the balance and what's appropriate. Sometimes you got to move toward force and violence. You may have to protect yourself or defend yourself. Um, but as soon as possible, you consciously allow yourself to move toward the more unitive or at least more harmonious pole, uh, the more unitive, and be a peacemaker and be a mediator. And one who tries to reconcile by finding what's valid in the enemy's point of view. If somebody, if you don't like somebody, or they are your sworn and avowed enemy, uh, or anything in between, your job as a conscious person, part of your ethics and your morality, I would dare to say, is trying to mediate that conflict by finding what merit you can in a position that you either disagree with, hate, despise, or feel threatened by. To understand that there is some degree of truth in every position 
is a very intelligent position for a philosopher to take. It may be very difficult in the real extremes, the 99% 1% or 99.9% versus a tenth of a percent. You know, uh, people usually challenge you by going right to the wall and saying, well, tell me something good about Hitler or tell me something good about uh, childhood uh, uh, cancer or, you know, tell me something good or meritorious about world hunger and starvation and the fact that a quarter of a million children have died in the last week on this planet for not having a half a cup of rice a day or a few vitamins. And we tolerate that. Right? How much longer can we tolerate it? It used to be that we just didn't know about it. We could pretend we didn't know. Well, now you know. Now it's in your face. How much longer can we tolerate this gross injustice and still face ourselves in the mirror in the morning? You see? That's what we're up against. And, it's, and imagine the incredible fortune that we all have to be alive at this crossroads as humanity begins to wake itself up and look out at the world and see what we're capable of doing and having and being for each other, not just for the lonely, separated self. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're, we're reaching now this critical mass. We're, we've moved through the portal and are stepping now directly, feet on the path directly, into this Aquarian age, into this new age. How is it that it's been prophesied in so many ways for so many years by so many people in so many traditions? Well, a conscious, sentient person would have to realize that there would be a point where some significant number of human beings wake up and say, I cannot exist. I cannot, let me say this in a better way, I cannot feel content or fulfilled in any way. Uh, satisfaction is lacking. As long as there are people in this world that are hungry, I'm not saying everybody's got to have a mansion on the bluff overlooking the ocean. But how about just meeting the needs of the most extremely impoverished people? and making them more self-reliant, giving them access to land so they don't have to earn money to buy fuel, to boil polluted water, to eat prepackaged food that came out of China on the other side of the world. You know, um, why can't people just have access to the land? Well, Michael, because it's used to grow coffee and sugar and tea and, and other drugs. Okay, land reform, I don't want to get off into a, a thing about the Malthusian doctrine I'm talking about. Are you in touch with that longing? And it's melancholy. It, it hurts. But it also feels wonderful when you take action on it. And it's something we're compelled to do. That's just really who we are. So, To come back to Robert's point, I think. Yeah, there's different kinds of power. There's not just the power over. There's power shared. There's not just the power of fear and force 
and violence and hatred. There's the power of love, but it's subtle. And lots of folks haven't seen it, don't know how to find it, don't know how to use it. And that's what the family is for. That's where it starts. If you haven't got it in the family or with some close friends, it's hard to see it spreading around the world. In Montreal, Quebec, Charlotte is with us. Good afternoon, Michael. Hello, Charlotte. Oceanside, Roberto. He's back for more. Thank you, Roberto. Nice to see you today. Thanks for being on the Mystery School call here. In Los Angeles, Tommy is with us. He says, uh, when you get back to it, your train of thought, Albert Schweitzer allegory um, about if it's good or life-affirming, it's ethical, is where the smoke alarm arrested your attention. Yes, it certainly did. <laughs> Nobody's smoking. Uh, yeah, well, Schweitzer's idea was a simple one, and so maybe I did say everything I wanted to say about it. It's profound, it's powerful, but it's simple. If you're life affirming, if you if if you care about, if you just care, oh, that's where it was. That's exactly it, Tommy. Thank you. I was I was going to talk about people I know who say I don't care, as if that's okay, as if it's okay not to care. I suppose there are some cases where it's just irrelevant; it doesn't matter, and you could say I don't care. But to talk about current events and important issues. To be a talk show host, for example, or a, a newspaper commentator, and you say, I just don't care about this, or I don't care about that. Well, that says more about you than anything. The not caring is the problem. And so I was saying that, keying off the Albert Schweitzer quote, that, that my teachers taught me that evil begins with not caring. And at first I thought, that's a very high bar. That's challenging because... Uh, it would seem to me that I would have to do something evil, like lie about somebody, slander them, cheat on them, steal their stuff, right? Hit them, beat them up, say nasty stuff behind their back. But you're telling me it's evil just not to care? And my teacher said, yeah, think about it. Think about it. Because if you continue not to care, you continue to identify identify with the part of you that is separated, and that's the false self. It's through the caring nature, through a pursuit, as we discussed last week, of humble and sweet pride, and this week through ethics and morality, that we aspire to the part of us that cares. That's what love is. It's, it's that we care and what we care about, right? What do you care about? I mean, what do you care about? Therein you will find your identity. And so if you don't care about important things, well, I don't care that 30,000 kids died of starvation last night. Fine, that's who you are. You just invented yourself. And if, on the other hand, you care, but you don't do anything because you're really very busy, fine. That's better than, you know, not caring. You care, but you're not doing anything. So the caring grows until finally you do something. And then you realize that's not enough. And you do a little more, and then you do a little more. And then finally, and I don't even want to use the word finally. Forget that I said the word finally. Strike it from the record. 
<laughs> and as that process continues, you get to a point where you're you're just consumed by your caring nature. And that's what you put your time and attention to. It's not just self and survival, but what can I do for you, needing nothing in return? Because, again, if you give to get, you're not giving. And, you know, that's that's the way they do it in the Illinois government. you got to give to give, needing nothing in return, and then you benefit from that. And the process just continues. All right, uh, in the high desert, Don, Apple Valley, says, Michael, the train you stepped off, oh, he's going to tell me the same thing, was where you suggested that if a person wasn't making a conscious effort to live a more life-affirming existence, then what was, that was the beginning of evil. Yeah. He says, please elaborate. And I just did. Good. Thank you, Don. Uh, in Amsterdam, Kev is with us again today. See what's on Kev's mind. He's today. Kev is pushing a DVD set, not his, but another. He's a great networker. Magical Egypt, a symbolist tour of ancient Egypt, eight DVD set. I, you know, I love the History Channel, and uh, I don't get a lot of TV time, but I sure like watching the History Channel. And, and recently, I was I've seen several programs on ancient Egypt and. I watched one yesterday about the Exodus and trying to line up the biblical accounts of the Jews led by Moses escaping slavery in Egypt and how the sea turned red and then the Red Sea parted and all of that and how they were able to, uh, in an interdisciplinary way, because the archaeologists were not talking to the geologists who were not talking to the historians who were not talking to the anthropologists who were not talking to the theologists and they started putting them all together and changing the dates just a little bit peeking and tweaking and looks like there might be something to that whole story and it turns out a lot of those biblical miracles have to do with uh, the eruption of an enormous earthquake uh, about 1500 or 1800 B.C. in Greece, huge earthquake, and uh, that explains the uh, fire and the ice raining down, embers from the volcano and hail at the same time, and the Red Sea's part. I mean, there was an earthquake in the 1800s in the Midwest that made the Mississippi River flow backwards. So that's fascinating stuff. I like. Uh, I like to study the ancient material. Nice to hear from Kevin Amsterdam today. Uh, Larry, uh, just uh, over on the Big Island in Hilo, says, uh, here's how I look at ethics, such as in your example of the coin purse or the uh, car rear-ending you. He says, I always imagine that the other person, the one that left their purse behind, or the person that ran into me is, if they were my mother, and what would I do if it was my mother's purse or my mom hit me? And also I realize that the person that I ran into or, or who ran into me did not uh, start out their day hoping to crash their car into mine. Yeah, um, very good. And that sounds like a great way of bringing love. This is the will to love. Love 
love is not just something you fall into. Emotional love, romantic love, maybe it is done to you. But Larry here is talking about the will to love. So he thinks of someone that he loves very much, in this case his mom, and brings that will to love to these situations. I think that's very smart, and thanks for that. Uh, the, the only comment I have is to remind us that that lower nature is going to speak up first. If you've got it well tamed, uh, and I think I have mine pretty well tamed, but in a surprising situation like the way that coin purse was just suddenly there with those $100 bills sticking out of it, or the car smashing into me, my lower nature stepped forward. The separative, defensive, me-against-the-world part asserted itself immediately, and then I was able, in seconds, in both cases, I'm pretty happy. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen examples that I <laughs> where I didn't do well, right? Uh, but I'm talking about then, as you realize more about the situation, you become less surprised, then we can bring in the higher self. Oh, yeah, what would I do if this were my mother's purse and my mother ran into me? And besides, it, it was an accident. They, that's why they're called accidents, right? She didn't really want to. So I'm just saying, don't be too hard on yourself if you recognize that initial uh a response is being unethical. It's not. It's just survival. And then as you get a little more information, a few seconds or minutes go by, oh, we can take a breath, relax, and then we can bring in the will to love. Very good point. Uh, oh, yeah, Larry also says, by the way, it was 19, not 11 uh, attackers. Uh, 19 souls that had filled their hearts with hate, yeah, at the very least. Uh, all right, let me hit refresh and see if there's anybody else here with a question or a comment, and if not, we'll go right to our visualization exercise for the day. It's almost the top of the hour. Yeah, Greg Simonian in Las Vegas jumps in and says, hello and happy holidays. Hello, Greg. It's always nice to hear from you, Greg and Larry and... Kev and Don and Roberto and John and Charlotte and Robert and another Robert and Lorelai and Carol and very nice hearing from all of you guys and thank you so much for being with us today. Before I go to um, our visualization exercise for the day today, I want to talk a little about about how you can help us promote these classes. Uh, hold on, let me take a sip of tea. With the uh, share one to a friend link, you know, this class, this Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar is uh, provided free of charge as a project of FocusPassion.com. And so all the uh, archives for this class are stored on my website, not the Focus Passion website, though they're pretty closely linked and probably will get even closer uh, as we roll this thing out. But theagelesswisdom.com is my website. And <clears throat> if you click on the home page to go inside and then click on the uh, navigation link that says web teleconference, you'll see all of the past classes are archived there. And usually by Friday or Saturday, the upcoming class is there. So you don't even need the newsletter, really, once you get on board with us and you know where to find it. But 
I want to call your attention to the send one to a friend gadget and ask you to use that. Um, we're doing the same thing on the Focus Passion site. That's uh, a premium program, of course, and uh, there's a contribution. It's not much, 99 cents a week, uh, for the premium um, broadcast or podcast that Steve and I do together every week, Finding Yourself in Paradise. But we provide this program, which is a little more advanced and often a little more esoteric. Um, it involves, you know, a live class, and you guys can get on the web and send me your questions and your comments, and it's totally different from a podcast. So this will always be free, and we'd love for you to invite your friends. And The best way to do that is just to use the Send One to a Friend gadget. So I just want you to know it's there. Anytime, put The Ageless Wisdom into your browser, click on Home Page, and then when you're inside, click on Web Teleconference. And between the archive and the upcoming program, you'll see a link. Send one to a friend. Send the past program to a friend. I'm not sure exactly what it says, but you can't miss it. Click on that, and you'll get another page comes up with a menu of all the past classes. You check the one that you want to send. Could be the current one, the one that just ran. It could be a week ago, a month ago, six months ago. Send send them one you need, the one that you think they need. You know, your friend or associate. If they're depressed, send them the one we did on depression. You know, if uh, they uh, are dealing with difficult people, send them the one dealing with difficult people. Or, oh, that was a Focus Passion podcast, wasn't it? And we will do the email for you. So it doesn't cost them anything, doesn't cost you anything. We just send that thing out free. And I also want to remind you that while that's on my website, the archive and the send one to a friend gadget at theagelesswisdom.com, that the newsletters are also archived at Blogger, which uh, the address would be theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. All right? theagelesswisdom.com blogspot.com and finally I am moving this week to a whole new email system and it requires that all of you who are receiving the newsletter by email you're going to have to um, I'm afraid you're going to have to opt in to an email letter or you're going to fall off the list this is I'm I won't get into detail but I'm at a place in my internet marketing strategy where I need to be sure I'm whitelisted because we tend to, with bulk emailers, we tend to pick up these spam points, and some people never even get our letters. So in order to stay whitelisted, we have to send you an email, and you'll receive this in the next couple of days, that says what I'm saying now and requests that you click a confirm link. It'll be in the lower left bottom of the newsletter. So find it, click it, then you'll continue to get, though in our new format, the Focus Passion newsletter with information about what's going on on that site, our Finding Yourself in Paradise podcast, but also information about the upcoming Sunday webinar of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And I want to be sure you continue to get that newsletter. And so when you get this in the next couple of days, if you would opt into it, I'd really appreciate it. If you forget I ever said this and you just stop getting the newsletter, you can listen to these on my website, and 
right under the home page when you first get there instead of clicking the home page if you click free newsletter you can resubscribe and and uh, get put back on the list that way all right wanted to tell you about that i hope you will share with a friend and needing nothing in return that's the ultimate giving so thank you for that and i thank you again for being here and if you close your eyes we'll do a little visualization exercise a guided imagery here to help develop this higher sense of self that we all aspire to so that we can follow a path of ethics and morality, follow that middle way of love and peace and understanding and the, the, the harmonious path that leads from separativeness to unity, that leads from the many back to the one. And that's a path of love, truth, of consciousness, and as we're saying today of ethics and morality just because you care and your identity is I am the one who cares so if you haven't already close your eyes get comfortable sit up straight take a nice slow deep breath and as you exhale create and sense the feeling of letting go All right. now you're online with several dozen people they're all doing the same thing live and of course in the future people will be listening to this as a replay but right now live imagine on this 14th day of December 2008 several dozen people right now are closing their eyes and meditating and joining the hundreds of thousands perhaps millions of people in the world who at this moment are meditating and I want you just as you continue to create and sense a feeling of relaxation, consider aligning yourself with the group. And you do that simply by forming the intention. No effort is involved. Form the intention of being in harmony with the group of people who are listening to this guided imagery exercise now, but also the larger group people in the world that are meditating and then consider if you wish if it's comfortable and works for you in alignment with your own higher self and the group that overshadows us on the plane of the soul above and free of form consider being part of this group effort Even if effort's not quite the right word, a group desire. Not the separative desire for material things that you hold on to, but an aspiration, a capital D desire to be lifted up, to be better, to care more, even though it's risky and sometimes hurts to care so much. That's your sacrifice. That's part of your sacrifice. It's just a bit of the cross that all of us bear when we come into form. Call it compassion. Your willingness to continue to love, to face suffering, to face injustice. To know that it's born of fear. And ultimately, the result of 
being separated and experiencing that separation and that alienation. That's the source of all of our fear and all of our ignorance and all of our confusion. But we don't have to identify it and call it the self. Ego will do that for us. Fight or flight will do that for us. But there's a higher self. You can feel it in the center of your heart. It's it's the longing for justice and peace. It's understanding and it's caring. And ethics and morality is simply affirming life rather than not caring or working to destroy life or injure life. To affirm and celebrate life is to care, is to be an ethical person, to be moral, to do your best. That's all. Just even to make give it a good college try, give her a go, fill your boots, and step forward into it and get it done. Whatever it is, whatever contribution you have to make, and, and I would argue that changing the world not only begins with you, but changing the world begins with you doing little things. Just little considerations. Not even to please other people so much as just to create a greater good. It, it could be just the littlest, silliest thing. You know, just a little piece of trash that you see on the street and you throw onto the floor of the back seat of your car and when you get home you dispose of it properly. You, you, did, you didn't clean the whole parking lot or go up and down the street. Uh, you went into a restaurant had a sandwich and a cup of coffee, and the wait the food wasn't really good, and the waitress wasn't uh, very happy to be there and giving you a hard time. And you responded with kindness and, and a considerate response instead of getting angry and nasty and defensive. It's just a series of little things that added together makes such a big difference, not only in the world, but also in our own sense of self, in our own peace and, and, and quiet conscience, allowing us to feel the fulfillment that leads us even further up the path, that spiral staircase that, that carries us into divine love and onward to know the will aspect and better know who we are really, <clears throat> what we're actually capable of. And if you haven't already, <clears throat> consider yourself in a place of perfect peace, a beautiful paradise or a garden, or your easy chair, your favorite chair at home. Or maybe out in your backyard. I bet you got a favorite place. Or maybe a combination of places that you've been into this fantasy or this imagination, imaginary place of perfect peace and ideal relaxation. And connect yourself there. Feel grounded. Feel plugged in or rooted. Whether you're sitting on the ground or even a an easy chair in the den. Imagine that you're grounded into the chair, which is grounded into the foundation of the house, which is grounded into the earth. And imagine that connection. 
and at the same time imagine a connection to spirit, to sky, through the top of your head, so that you are the middle bit between the earth and the sky, between matter and spirit. You are the center, you are the soul, you are the heart. You are the one who cares. As a conduit, as a medium between spirit and matter, as a spiritual lightning rod through which spirit grounds itself in the material world, Father, through you, the Son, into the mother aspect, spirit through you, the soul, into the material world. But you are that middle bit, you see, between spirit and matter. You are the consciousness or the son of father spirit and mother matter, the daughter the offspring at the interface and that mandates that if we wish to be to find meaning in existence to unfold and develop and then even accelerate our growth we must follow a path of ethics and morality because you care because that's your identity right up the middle the one who cares sometimes we're surprised and frightened and filled with fear and we fall back to that separative self and for a time see things as either or and you're not me you're part of a group called them that's out to get me and better me than you in the best sense and in the worst sense better you than me but as we recover as we breathe and relax and feel safe the balance is restored and we begin to lift ourselves toward an ability to harmonize that conflict and that adversity and that's why we care and that's why we're ethical and moral and do what we can in very little ways in the smallest of ways so that we know that we 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 just could not sell a senator's seat for a million dollars we could not pay ourselves a hundred million a year or even twelve million a year as the head of General Motors while billions are lost, you just can't do that because that would be stealing. And you can't, on Wall Street, steal old people's pensions. We, we know that. We're pretty clear on that. You'd feel horrible. You couldn't, even if you had all that money, you couldn't, your conscience wouldn't allow you to enjoy it. But, We need to take a look at what would I do with a $20 bill I found on the street. Forget my Costco example. What if there was no way of tracing it? You just found it on the street. There's no point in leaving it on the street. You'd probably pick it up. No way of figuring out who it goes to. It's only 20 bucks. Well, maybe it's $100. Or maybe it's a little package with $500 in it. What are you going to do? You're going to keep it, but what would you do with it? 
even if he did keep it, because there's really, you know, no way to return it. You're not going to take it to the cops. Uh, they're not going to figure out who it is. Well, maybe you do take it to the cops, but maybe you give it to charity. Maybe you give it to somebody who just lost their job and is worried about feeding the kids. In fact, maybe you add another couple hundred dollars and give it away. It's not for me to tell you how to behave. It's not for me or any other teacher to tell you what's right and wrong about your ethics and your morality. My appeal to us today is simply to honor the longing to come in touch with the feeling deep inside that initially occurs to us as a motive but later we recognize as identity this is me, this is who I am I have to live with the consequences of my behavior you see and we make mistakes and we learn. But am I the one that learns or am I the one that makes the mistake? Yeah, you're both. But what's superior? The one who learns. The one who looks directly in the mistake. and says, that was not ethical. That was not moral. That was not life-affirming. That was evil because I didn't care. I didn't intend to hurt anybody, but i got to admit, I just didn't care. So it wasn't life-affirming. It was evil. It was not ethical or moral because I didn't care. Be the one that cares. That's all. Be the love. Not a person looking for love outside of you. Not even an individual trying to bring it up from within you. But not a person that needs love, but love. It's not only, you've heard me say it before, and it's not original with me, certainly, that not only do you have the love you're looking for, but you are the love you're looking for. You are the one who cares. And the frightened part of us is being attracted toward and lifted up magnetically toward the part that cares, and that path is love-truth. That path is false pride, arrogance, superiority, going to humble and sweet pride. With a sweet little sense of contentment and satisfaction. And that path is ethics and morality, just because you care. Find yourself in that. And breathe into that now. Take another nice, slow, deep breath. Take your time. And as you exhale... Breathe into the part of you that cares. And luxuriate for a moment in how it feels to be a person that cares. Intention really goes a long way. You may fail in the follow-through. You may screw up a little mistake, maybe a big, bad mistake, but... What was your intention? Did you care? Did you try? You get big points for that, I think. And when you find yourself critically judging yourself and even moving towards self-loathing, take a breath and as you exhale, again, without effort, simply by allowing, fall back into the net. You're flying with the net 
every once in a while, let yourself drop into the net to be sure it's still there. It'll always be there. It's the part of you in consciousness that assures you that you are the one that cares. You are love. From a unique point of view, you are the oneness of all that is, the one life. You cannot be separated except in appearance from that one life. But you need, for whatever reason, to have this experience of separation. Doesn't it matter? Doesn't it rather rather make sense that an all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere equally present deity would need to have some experience as being less than or separate from. And so the one creates the many. But what's the path back? What completes the cycle or the circuit? How do we find our way home? Where's the breadcrumb trail? Ethics, morality, caring, that spiritual longing, that holy longing, that divine homesickness. Ethics, morality, it's the path, gang, it's the path, follow that path, breathe, Uh, and move forward toward ever more caring. You can handle the vulnerability that comes with it. You can handle, through compassion, the suffering that all of us go through, living here in form experiencing what appears to be separation, feeling the alienation, reaching out, longing to reconnect. Honor that. It's always worth it. Our job, as Rumi says, is not to find love, seek love, aspire to acquire love, but to remove all the barriers within us that we have built against Identify as the one that cares. Just say silently to yourself, affirming in your mind and in your heart, I am a caring person. I love to love. I love to care. I love to see smiles on people's faces. I love it when I can help people make, uh, help people feel safe. But we can't do anything for others that we've been unable or unwilling to do for ourselves. So it always starts with self care about yourself, love yourself, be as ethical and moral as you can be, allowing for inevitable mistakes, but form the intention. This is a feeling, a sense of fulfillment, a quality of progress, an expansion of awareness an aspiration of consciousness that you can bring with you easily, effortlessly back into the waking state, back into your wonderful Sunday and give away freely in the world. Take another breath and as you exhale slowly reorient yourself to the sound of my voice. Remember where you're sitting. And when you're ready and it feels right for you, take another nice, slow, deep breath. Oh, 
drink deeply, and as you exhale again, open your eyes wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed and alert, and uh, all filled and full and fulfilled and warm and radiant and fuzzy and all of that, because that's who you are. Okay? Morality, your morality, specific to you, right? I think it's very important that in ancient times, codes were written. You know, the Emerald Tablet of the ancient Hermetic tradition in Egypt, Moses and his Ten Commandments, Christ in his parables and Gospels, Confucius and Lao Tzu and the folk wisdom of the Chinese people, and all around the world, the folk wisdom and shamanic traditions uh, of the world some of which evolved into religions and worshipping rituals and ceremonies, but many of which are just carried as a sense of the right way to be in our hearts. And that's where we've come to today, especially those of you who are listening to this program. It's your codes and your morality and, and honoring that you're fired and wired and inspired. You're all calibrated and you know what's right. You know the right thing for you to do. But I like putting it in context and talking about it. And I'm always amazed at how fast these 90-minute classes go. So we're pretty much out of time. I'm going to let you go and uh, remind you to join us every Sunday. I haven't even checked. Let's see, 14... A week from today is the 21st, and then the 28th. So we have one more show before Christmas, and then um, another show between Christmas and New Year's. 21st is solstice, I think. Carol reminded me earlier today about solstice. So not sure what the topic will be, but it looks like we're going to do these right through the holiday seasons. That's my point. No time off for uh for holidays. Uh, I'd rather celebrate my holiday with you guys, so if you can join us right through the holidays, please do. Whatever holidays you're celebrating, I like to, I like to celebrate it, all of them. Every day is a holy day. Every breath is a holy breath, uh, and life is a rich and beautiful thing. Thank you so much for being with us today in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Send one to a friend. Share these programs with your friends and associates, especially topic-specific issues where you think they'll benefit most. Use that gadget on the agelesswisdom.com website. In the lower right-hand corner of the webpage in front of you is a big button, Unleash Inner Peace. If you haven't looked at our new Focus Passion site, click that button to unleash some inner peace. Other links are below for your convenience, and we'll talk to you next week. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.